We are going to energize the country. We need to wake up and smell the coffee. No more Mr. Nice Guy. Another future is possible, but we've got to fight for it. Order! Hello and welcome to the Debated Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Will. And in this episode, I'm delighted to be joined by Mark Whitaker, Chair of the Young Fabians. Welcome to the podcast, Mark. Hi, Will. I'm a big fan of the podcast. It's lovely to be on. Excellent. Uh, glad to have someone who's a fan of the podcast on it. <laughs> Not always something that um, happens. So uh, my first uh, question to you is this. Um, for people who aren't familiar as to what the Young Fabians is, could you explain to them what the Young Fabians is? Yeah, of course. I think there's sort of two ways of answering a question, which is firstly, that the Young Fabians is Britain's only democratically run think tank, which is by and for young people on the left. So we're the under 31 section of the Fabian Society, which is Britain's longest running think tank and a founding member of the Labour Party. And we exist in quite a small um, space for left wing think tanks in the UK. Of course, on the right, you've got a lot of very well connected, well healed, well resourced think tanks, which are trying to move the conversation to the right and provide a lot of ideas for the right of the spectrum of, the, of politics. Um, you know, pushing a lot of things like climate denialism, um, and a more isolationist role for Britain in the world. And it's really important that we have institutions like the Fabian Society, which provide an alternative. And of course, there are a few other really excellent think tanks on the British left. But what the Fabian Society brings, as well as its small and excellent staff team who are often putting out a lot of great policy research, is the sort of democratic side of the Fabian Society. So it's run by an executive committee. And under that, there's the Young Fabians, the Fabian Women's Network, which does great work on mentoring women in politics. There's the Scottish Fabians and the Welsh Fabians. And each one of those is run by its own democratically led team and is mm -hmm. in a decentralized way. And what each of those allow people to do is to get involved uh, and shape fresh thinking for the future of the left. So that's kind of the structural part. We can get a little bit more into that and why people want to be a member of the Fabian Society and the Young Fabians. But the other thing the Young Fabians is, is a group of people. So the Young Fabians of the Young Fabians. And I tend to find it's a really lovely group of left-wing people, um, basically affiliated to the Labour Party, but who have a very practical approach to politics. So it's not about any one politician. It's not about defining yourself by a faction within a faction. It's a group of people who are willing to put factionalism at the door when they come to the Fabian Society and form a support network for each other where we can discuss, debate, develop ideas. Uh, we had a launch event yesterday with Liam Byrne, who is Labour's candidate for West Midlands in mayoralty. He is a former shadow minister. And when he was in the Young Fabians, he founded our quarterly magazine, Anticipations, which continues to go from strength to strength. And he was so happy to be back speaking to the Young Fabians. And he talked really glowingly about the people he met and described how they'd become lifelong political friends. And um, I think, especially in the weird year that we've had, people have needed that support and people who are currently in the Young Fabians talk about it in those terms as well. So yeah, you've got the kind of structure and mission, but then you've also got the group of people who come together in the Young Fabians. And probably the second is the more important part, to be honest. Now, as I mentioned in the introduction, you are chair of the Young Fabians. So what exactly does that role entail? 
Uh, the role entails overseeing the huge decentralized uh, beast that the Young Fabians has become. So uh, I chair an executive committee of um, about 12 people, uh, although we hire extra people onto the committee as needed. So it's grown a bit since the start of the year. Um, and that executive committee have all the roles you'd usually expect as an organization, you know, secretary, vice chair, uh, treasurer, who's helping us raise more funds and put the organization on a good financial basis. Uh, then also we've got people who focus on outreach and focus on the governance of uh, 11 policy networks, each of which is run by a small team of young Fabian volunteers, our national and regional groups, which we started this year, which are across the UK, and again, run by their members, for their members, and then our advocacy groups, which are the BAME advocacy group, LGBTQIA plus advocacy group, and disability advocacy group. So uh, it's overseeing a lot of stuff. It's a, a very generalist role. Um, it's basically making sure that everyone in the organization is kind of set up for success and has what they need in order to make a great year of it. Apart from that, it also involves uh, outreach, so doing what I'm doing now, and trying to make sure that people know about the Young Fabians and feel welcome to join. Uh, it also involves being on the Fabian Society's executive. So the Young Fabians have a powerful voice at the table in the Fabian Society. And by sharing what we're doing, we provide a lot of innovation and the Fabian Society changes what it does all the time in response to what we do. Uh, for example, we've started all these policy networks based on things like health, education, uh, technology and defence. And the Fabian Society has formed these as well as they found it's a great way to let people sort of get their teeth into a project that they really are passionate about and love doing. Um, now, you mentioned uh, the policy networks there. Um, now, what would you say is the aim of the, the different policy networks? Is it simply to uh, gather like-minded people uh, together to discuss things or is it to produce work? What, what sort of aim is behind each different uh, policy network? Yeah, they're all very different. And basically, it's whatever they want to make of it. So uh, I've chaired a policy network before I launched our finance network as the economy and finance network, to bring that broader basis to what it does. And um, networks tend to do various things. So they run a lot of events. Hmm. They provide a place for people to come together. They might do blog takeovers or uh, features for anticipations. I mentioned our quarterly magazine. Uh, sometimes if they are up for a really big project, they'll produce a policy pamphlet. Mm -hmm. um, I produced one, for example, uh, with Adam Allnut and with another policy network when I was chair of policy network, it was called Local Government Under Fire. And that was sponsored by the Local Government Association's Labour Group and basically looked at the impact of austerity cuts on local government and what Labour's alternative might be. So they can produce that kind of work but then they can do a lot more beyond that. I mean, some of the other innovative things that the networks have done have included in happier times, going to things like screenings, going to exhibitions, holding book clubs. Um, we held in the economy of finance, a screening of the budget, which was great. It was a really good event. Uh, personally, I'm quite keen on events where young Fabians get to talk amongst ourselves, as well as the kind of panel events where we hear from senior Labour politicians, uh, public figures and so on. And at this budget event, basically because we have so many young professionals and students in the Young Fabians who are on the front lines 
of all of these policy areas that politicians like to talk about. Uh, for example, we have a lot of junior doctors, teachers, people who work in artificial intelligence and finance. Um, they were able to come together for this event and give like a live reaction to what the chancellor of the time was um, saying. So, you know, they were going into detail, digging behind the sort of smarminess and the big announcements that the chancellor was talking through. Um, and sort of digging into, well, how significant is this announcement? What will the impact be for people on the ground? So we can do all sorts of things, really. I mean, it, people, I think, mostly think of us for our kind of policy output mm -hmm. and events, but there's a whole world of things that you can do once you're involved. I mean, really, the networks are there to give people a space to pursue what interests them, basically, and to meet great people. Uh, now, you mentioned, obviously, the... Um policy uh, output of the uh, the young Fabians in particular, uh, the networks. And I, I'm, I'm just curious, how much impact do you think the um, policy output, the, the pamphlets and the articles written by young Fabians have on, for example, the Labour Party? Because, of course, the, the Fabians is very strongly connected with the Labour Party. How much influence do you think it, it has on Labour policy? I think... Probably the biggest impact that we have is as a training ground for young policymakers on the left. So I mentioned Liam Byrne. You've got people all across the Labour Party, from people like Matt Zarb-Cousin and Sam Tarry, uh, through um, people like Rachel Reeves, Kate Green, uh, Annalise Dodds, who have been heavily involved in the Fabians over the years and have brought the sort of Fabian approach into what they do. Um, so that, that's kind of the, the training part of it. And that's where we make probably our biggest impact. And in some cases, encouraging people who might not have been so interested in labor politics to enter that world of labor politics. Uh, in terms of the actual policy output that we produce, it's had more or less impact over the years. I think it's kind of waxed and waned a little bit. In the 90s, the Young Fabians and the Fabian Society were very influential. I mean, so uh, Ed Balls was... 26 when he wrote his Fabian Society pamphlet calling for the independence of the Bank of England. And that got taken up as Labour Party policy. So that's probably one of the bigger impacts that we've made. Um, but more recently, I think there are fewer kind of big, tangible things that the Labour Party has taken on. And sadly, we've not had a Labour government to put those into practice. But I think it's worth sending a lot of these ideas through to Labour policymakers, as it will influence them in ways that are very difficult to foresee. It's not like we often see a manifesto with, you know, this was a young Fabian idea put into it. But by advocating for particular ideas, uh, I think that it does influence the way that Labour politicians approach their work. And who knows, maybe some of the pamphlets that we put out have directly impacted Labour policymaking. But it is worth mentioning that most of our forward our pamphlets in the Young Fabians are forwarded by influential people in Labour politics. Uh, for example, we've done two very influential ones on climate change recently, which have had forwards from Labour shadow ministers working on the environment. Uh, and we aim to keep building those relationships more and more, especially important now, I think, because uh, there are lots of senior Fabian MPs who are in the shadow cabinet. So Kate Green and Wes Streeting, who are at Shadow Education Ministry, uh, Annalise Dodds, who is, of course, Shadow Chancellor, um, and others are on the Fabian's um, executive, uh, the senior Fabian's executive, that is, of course. And, uh, of course, they are influential in the party. 
And I think that this is a great opportunity for us now to work with them to make sure that young people's voices are included as they uh, approach their policy work, especially as they think about a recovery from COVID, which mm. needs to benefit young people because in many ways through the disrupted education and the weekend jobs market and the mental health impacts, young people have been hit in particular ways and we need that voice at the table. Um, now, of course, you mentioned earlier Anticipations, which is the Young Fabian's uh, magazine. What do you think is the appeal of, of having a, a magazine uh, for the Young Fabians in, in a world that is becoming increasingly uh, digital do you think that it's something that uh, just adds a, a a particularly nice touch to being a, a member of the young fabies what do you think is the appeal of the magazine i think it does it's always nice to see your name in print and in the last few years we've really revamped antics and made it look even better than it did before and i think it's just good to have your name in a prestigious publication something that you can physically take away and have it's worth mentioning as well that we've put anticipations online mm -hmm. so that people can find it on our website as well. But I think that's kind of the nicest thing about it is seeing your name in print, seeing it in this publication that's been around for a while and which a lot of Labour MPs have fond memories of either editing or writing for. As well as Antics, we've got a flourishing blog, which is publishing usually at least one article a day, which is amazing. Um, and... It's a great opportunity as well to get your name published and to share it online a little bit more. And this isn't like one of those blogs that you sometimes find in the labor movement where it's not really clear how you can write for it and it's certain people's friends who are writing for it. If you remember The Young Fabians and you pitch an article to our blog editor and it's good and then it will get published and you will be able to have your name um, in print. And uh, we've also... You know, we've got lots of opportunities to write in the digital space, but it's nice to be able to keep Antics going, uh, Antics being its affectionate nickname. Uh, it's nice to keep Antics going as well uh, to provide that link to the past and to have a really well-produced physical magazine too. Um, now, the Young Fabians don't take um, specific uh stances on particular issues the idea of the organization is of course to allow for debate across um the political uh, left in britain the young political left do you think that this is particularly necessarily uh important at the moment because of the divides that we've seen in politics not just uh, with regards to brexit but of course um, the election of um, Donald Trump in 2016 and, and the fallout of that. Do you think that that's something that really important to be able to bridge the gap between um, people on the left? Yeah, I think that is important. The, the fact that we're not factional is, I think, particularly important because in the wider Labour movement, it's like being a member of a political party, which is a set of political parties, mm. And it's a very difficult space to navigate. And we believe that no one faction of the Labour movement has a monopoly on good ideas. So the Young Fabians provides quite a unique space where people from all across the Labour Party do come and discuss ideas. And often there's more agreement than you would expect between people when you actually get past the tribalism and the personality-driven politics and get onto actual policy and how we want to change things and how we want to deliver for people and I think 
one of the reasons it's important that we don't take lots and lots of positions on things is because it helps us to be non-factional. So the fact that we're not leading big campaigns on kind of divisive issues for the labor movement. Uh, probably there are people who might be frustrated with that, but there are lots of other groups in the labor movement who are taking those positions. And I think we've always got to weigh up, you know, how much do people, how many much will people's minds be changed by seeing that the young Fabians are taking X or Y position versus the importance of trying to be a space where big positions can be debated honestly and in good faith amongst the left in this country. And I think you're right. I mean, we live in a very polarized time and, um, you know, our individual members will have their own opinions on things. And I hope that they do go out and then campaign very hard for their values um, outside of the young Fabians, but it's not for the young Fabians ourselves to necessarily um, be taking lots and lots of controversial button pushing things on behalf of our members who do have very diverse views and uh, approaches to politics after all. Now, of course, there are some members of the uh, young Fabians who aren't members of the Labour Party and there are members of other political parties who can be affiliate members of the Young Fabians. What do you think is the attraction for people who aren't necessarily uh, members of the Labour Party to join the Young Fabians? I think the attraction would be if you're a member of the sort of broader political left and you're kind of sympathetic to the views and aims of the Labour Party and the Cooperative Party, then it gives you a way into politics in a way that can be a little bit intimidating to join like the Labour Party, for example. Mm. I mean, myself, I only joined the Labour Party in 2014. I must be about one of three people who did. But when I was in my early 20s, I wasn't that infused by what I saw from Labour students. Mm. Uh, I got more and more political as the impact of the coalition government became clearer. So. Um, for example, I started going on austerity marches. I ran a human rights organization when I was at university. Um, but I never joined the Labour Party until about 2014. And then I became more and more active as the uh, 2010s went on and things went south politically, you know, <laughs> seeing um, the, I mean, for me, the Brexit referendum was quite alarming. Uh, I know other people will disagree on the left, but I think that was a big wake up call. Donald Trump's election in America as well. So I decided to join the Labour Party, start getting involved in door knocking. Um, and I went along to a young Labour event in 2017, my first one, even though I was in my mid-20s by then, and it was a, an AGM. And it was a very strange atmosphere for a, a new member of the Labour Party. I mean, there was clearly a lot going on behind the scenes that I was not privy to. Everyone's on their mm. phones, uh, organizing slates. Uh, there was a set of speeches by different candidates and people were being heckled and barracked and people trying to boo each other off stage. Somebody turned the lights off in this lecture theater um, so that one of the speakers was interrupted when they uh, cast out when they thought Jeremy Corbyn's Labour Party could win an election, even though they were on the left of the party, but they were um, not sure about our prospects. So they got the lights turned out on them. And I thought, this is horrible. This is not the way a youth section should be for the Labour Party. The, the young Fabians provide something a bit more open than that, I think. I mean, we've, 
you know, definitely not been perfect. But at that event, I was um, lucky enough to meet Ria Bernard and uh, Miriam Mirwich, who were on the Young Fabians executive at the time. And they were about the only people in that room who actually took the time to speak to a new member who was clearly not aligned to any group and, you know, wasn't sort of important in inverted commas and wanted to encourage them to be involved. So I think that that kind of openness and friendly culture, which we try to build, and I think we succeed uh, quite well, especially recently, um, I think that's important. But then even if you aren't that interested in joining a political party and you're sort of sympathetic to the left and you have other ambitions, then you can learn all sorts of skills by being involved in the Young Fabians, you know, um, political writing, being able to have a chance to do public speaking, uh, meeting great people in a variety of different backgrounds. So, for example, our law network is full of young lawyers, so that's a good way to meet people. Uh, and we're about to launch a new initiative in the new year, hopefully, called the Young Fabians Academy, which will focus on political education and skills development and political knowledge. So we hope that that will encourage new people to join because uh, you know, that will just be great whether you're interested in developing your skills at public speaking or understanding a budget or understanding what it takes to deliver a policy. So um, yeah, there's a lot there for people who aren't necessarily hardcore Labour politicos. So we hope that it helps people who are Labour politicos mm -hmm. get into ideas and policy and uh, liberation, political strategy, all of that. But we also hope that we can encourage people who aren't necessarily in the Labour Party to, uh, but are interested in all of those things to be more involved in left-wing politics too. Um, now, you mentioned um, some of the uh, antics that can sometimes happen at um, Labour events and, you know, not necessarily making a, a new member feel as um, welcome as, as they should be. And of course, you know, we obviously see all sorts of um, abuse that happens online. Is this something that you feel is important to ensure that, you know, abuse doesn't happen within uh, the Young Fabians and ensure that anything that happens online, you know, if, if, if something awful happens online or people get into a, a vicious argument, that, that that is something you're able to to deal with and, and sort out in a, in a grown-up way? Um, I think so. It's something that, think nobody's perfect at hmm. but we try to make sure that we build an inclusive environment and we make sure that you know abuse isn't tolerated hmm. of young people you know debate is good but attacking people is absolutely not we've hmm. got a code of conduct for young fabians officers we've um put that in place in the last year and that's been um hopefully successful in making sure that people know what standards are expected of them both positive and things they need to avoid we also got a safeguarding officer this year who's overseeing a safeguarding policy and that's particularly important when you consider that we're running an organization which spans people from kind of their late teens through to their late 20s now just to turn away from the um young fabians for a moment of course Coronavirus has impacted all of our lives um, throughout the UK and globally. What impact do you think it's going to have on politics going forward, whether we're talking about the local elections in 2021 or even going to the general election in 2024? It's a really good question. I think I would be reluctant to say what impact it's going to have for 2024 mm. because... 
a year ago, I could never have predicted what would be happening now. Maybe something even bigger will come along, um, God forbid, that <laughs> will make us forget what happened in this last year and will completely set the tone again. I think in the short term, it's been, I mean, it's, it's just been horrible. It's turned all of our lives upside down. I desperately miss the lives we had before. In the political space that has been shaped by this, I think it's kind of led to a bit of a rejection of right-wing populism hmm. for now. Um, I think that in America, personally, I believe that if it hadn't been for the pandemic, Donald Trump might well have been re-elected. Hmm because um, you know, the economy that he inherited from Barack Obama was continuing to strengthen. He was starting to apparently win ground amongst um, sections of the population who might distrust him before, because actually he didn't deliver on a lot of the really scary stuff that he promised. He ended up being scary in ways that I think were quite different than what he promised. So if he had managed to win over more um, minority communities in America as he did and the economy was doing well and he kept on to the voters who switched from the Democrats in 2016, then he would have been on course for victory. But I think that his approach to politics is so obviously at odds from what is needed in an emergency response situation and a global health crisis in particular that it led people to reject his approach to things. So I think that that's is as far as America goes. And then what happens in America so often sets the tone for what happens in Britain. Mm. I think Boris Johnson is a populist in a lot of ways, mm. but he also doesn't have a huge amount of principle. <laughs> so I think he sort of takes his tone from what is going on around him. So I think the fact that Trump has been ousted from office uh, by the electorate in the US means that he will probably have to end up moderating in Britain. I hope that means he'll go for a deal with the EU rather than going for a no-deal Brexit and then signing up to a trade deal with America, which signs over a lot of our rights and public services to US corporations and US hegemony. Um, on the local level, it's clearly going to affect how we campaign for the May elections. Mm. And I think the, the government will be judged on its record. And I think that up until now, the government's record hasn't been brilliant in a lot of ways. I think that um, a lot rests on how the rollout of the vaccine goes and how they handle the next few months as well the political impacts will be. I think if things go quite smoothly and the rollout is managed very well, then the Conservatives could get seen as the people who ended the pandemic and got Brexit done. But if Brexit and the next stage of the pandemic response don't go well, then I think they could be punished at the ballot box in May. And then the Tories can be quite ruthless, as they show with Theresa May, with leaders who don't deliver the goods in local elections. So um, I think it's in, it'll be interesting to see what becomes of Boris Johnson then. It might be that Conservatives who are frustrated with him for various reasons um, related to the coronavirus restrictions and what they see as his excessive environmentalism, which blows my mind because um, I think we need to be acting very urgently on this. But uh, they might want to plump for somebody who pursues the culture war even harder and mm. is even more economically right wing, which is scary. So I think 
you know, the pandemic isn't good for Boris Johnson's career, but we don't know uh, whether what comes next will be even worse. And um, I wish that Labour were not so far away from power. And I think that we've got to work very hard for those local elections to take what power we can at the local and metro mayor's level and implement some good, serious policies will improve people's lives and tackle climate change. Uh, it was great listening to Liam Byrne talk about this last night for the young Fabians. He's got a lot of big ideas. So ultimately we need to get stuck in, um, help wherever we can with phone banking and leafleting and um, help make the change happen that we need to see. Uh, now, just to turn back uh, to the young uh, Fabians, of course, 2020 marked the 60th anniversary of the Young Fabians. Um, looking back on the history of the Young Fabians, what impact do you think it has had on uh, British politics? Oh, that's really interesting. So we are actually running a project at the moment, which Holly Wickens, our secretary, is leading on. So she'd be much better placed to talk about this because she's doing a lot of research into exactly that question, like what impact have we had, who are our sort of most prominent former members, what have they done, how did the Fabian Society influence their politics? But um, I think that it's probably changed a lot over time. First, first of all, in the 1960s, the Young Fabians were very, very much on the radical edges of the Labour movement. They were doing things like calling for total abolition of private schools, which is now um, sort of a uh, sort of standard that is borne by uh, the, le- the sort of left with a capital L of the party. Uh, at other times, they've been seen as kind of moderates who were very, very close to the new Labour project. Um, I think always trying to be non-factional, but being seen culturally by the rest of the Labour movement in those terms. Um, I think that it's probably been influenced by what's going on in the wider labour movement as much as it has influenced it. So our culture has changed over time. The project will show the ways that that has happened. But um, yeah, I think that one of the big impacts would have been the independence of the Bank of England. And um, I'm sure there are other examples of specific policies that got taken up. But as I mentioned earlier, probably the biggest influence we have is as a training ground for um, young people who then go on to be involved in politics. I'd also like to shout out the Fabian Women's Network at this point because they do amazing stuff for young women and women who are over 31. And their mentorship program, which has been running for 10 years, has been cited by several people who might otherwise never have been involved in politics and are from underrepresented backgrounds as the reason that they have a big support network in politics today. And um, we're starting to see the first people emerge from the mentoring program that are taking up their seats as MPs. So um, that's a huge impact that they have had. And while we don't have anything quite as formalized as the mentoring program in the Young Fabians, partly because they just do such a good job that why would we want to duplicate that? Um, hopefully we've had kind of softer impacts in that way. Mm. Uh, we're coming towards uh, the end of the podcast. It's been great to talk to you, Mark. And I've got one final question. Of course, we've mentioned... Um, coronavirus and the impact that it's had on politics and people's personal lives, of course. And it has restricted how people can do things, you know, how people can get about that kind of thing. So once coronavirus is finally, hopefully soon, uh, relegated 
to history. What one thing that you haven't been able to do are you most looking forward to being able to do? Oh, there's just so much. I miss <laughs> everything now about life as it was before the pandemic. I think I should say attend lots of Young Fabians events in, in person <laughs> and be able to meet people and socialise with them in real life. Um, and I am looking forward to that. But apart from that, the big thing I'm missing is being able to just be in a big crowd, a gig or a music festival and just be able to be with a huge group of other people and enjoy some culture. I've really, really missed that. And it's just not the same, like listening to music in front of a laptop. And uh, you don't get that joy from being around so many other people. So, um, yeah, I think that's the main thing I have been missing. And um, well, thank you very much for having me on the podcast. It's been really lovely talking with you. Is it all right if I just give a, a couple of quick shout outs yeah, for no, no, ways course. that people can get involved? Great. Yeah, so if, you, if you're if you interested in what you've heard and you want to get involved in the Young Fabians, you can join. If you're under 31 and you join the Fabian Society, then you're automatically a member, which is great. And if you're not under 31, join the Fabian Society anyway. They do great work, as I hope I've uh, mentioned today. Uh, the Young Fabian Policy Networks, as I mentioned, are yours to join and shape if you're a member. So uh, you can run for chair, secretary, other roles in all of those. Their annual general meetings are coming up in January. And there's ones on basically every policy area you can think of. So head over to the Young Fabians website if you want to find out more. And the same goes for our national and regional groups, Young Scottish Fabians and um, across the whole of England we've got a regional group now so uh, if you have been inspired by what you heard please join and get involved and shape all of those groups and um, I hope I see you at a Young Fabian event really soon. Excellent thank you once again for coming on the podcast Mark. Thanks so much Will. Thank you for listening to this episode of the podcast if you've enjoyed it you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, Podbeam and Amazon Music. You can also follow us on Twitter, at Debated Podcast, like us on Facebook, Debated Podcast, and if you'd like to get in touch with us, whether about appearing on an episode of the podcast, or commenting on an episode that you've listened to, you can do so at thedebatedpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening, I hope you listen to the next one.